it's great to be here tonight. Um, my name's John Watkinson. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Well of Life. I've lived in Dubai for 16 years and two months, believe it or not. Yeah, and I've been in Well of Life for about 15 of those years. So it's good to be here. So tonight we're preaching on Colossians 4, and it's a proclaiming people. Uh, we're finishing off the series this evening. And um, over the last 18 weeks or so, we've been exploring some of the incredible truths um, in this letter. The fact that Jesus is supreme, the fact that Jesus is sufficient, the fact that he is the very center of our doctrine. Um, and it's a, he's a ch- it's a challenge for us to align our lives to. And one of the things that uh, Rob preached on last week was the importance of prayer and especially focusing in on thanksgiving. It's lovely to see again some of the thanksgiving, some of the testimonies today. So as prayer is important, let me pray now. Father God, I pray that you would be with me this evening. Lord, the gravity of this message is is so important, Lord. I pray that I won't get in the way of what it is that you are trying to say today. Lord, I pray that that we will leave this place this evening um, feeling empowered, feeling encouraged to go and be a church a people that proclaim your good news to the world, to those around us, to those in our sphere. So Lord, help me. Help me today. So Paul closes out his letter in Colossians um, with one final challenge. And it's seen Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation... Be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Guys, if I can say today, you can change the world. I'm serious. You can change the world. It's not not that... You can just go out and do it on your own and change things. I believe that we all have something. We've all got this incredible gift, this incredible tool, and probably one of the most powerful tools known to mankind, and that we all have it. And that something is called a call. It's a call that we all have, something on our lives. I deliberately use this picture So that you can be reminded that every time your phone rings, you have a call. You're called to something bigger, even if it is your wife calling you about the meat. But a call changes history. A call changes the world. Noah had a call. A call to build an ark. Moses had a call. Joseph had a call. Everybody in the Bible, everyone we read about, the Bible is full of stories where people had a call and they acted upon it. And history changed. We read these stories time and time again. It can trigger a movement. It can cause you to move country. Many of you were called to Dubai. You may not have realized at the time, but you were probably called to this country. A call can cause you to start a family. A call can completely rewrite your future. The Word of God describes several types of calling. You've got a general call, which is kind of for everyone. You've got the effectual call to His people. And then you've got a technical call. And that's often 
what it is that you do. As I said, I do believe that each one of us in this room today has a call and that God is calling us to something specific. You see, with that call, you can change the world. According to scripture, our call is always from God. It's a function of how we are designed. It's something that would probably come quite naturally to us. It's an assurance, though, that through the thick and through the thin, God will remain faithful to us. He's always with us. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7 and 9 states that. It's almost always focused on the eternal. Philippians 3 and 4. We can be called wherever we live, wherever we work, whatever our occupation is, our status, whatever our position, whatever our salary, we can be called. The cool thing is, if we pursue these, we can enjoy greater satisfaction and significance. We can actually join and recall when he says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, guys, if we've got a call, why aren't we doing more? If we're called from God, he is behind us. He will back us up. We, we know that all things work together for good. So why don't we have the most incredible businesses? Why don't we have um, world-changing things, world-changing ideas, inventions? Why don't we have the best Netflix programs? Why don't we have the best music in the world? I think part of our challenge as human beings is we have this incredible gift that we live with. And sometimes we start to get confused. What, what, is this, what is this thing? What is this incredible gift that I have? And sometimes we start to glaze over this whole thing that we call Christianity. You can't contain it in my hands. But this whole thing that's called Christianity. How do we start to explain it? I've got quite a, a, a different way of thinking. And so I'm going to try and use some secular techniques to see if we can try and inspire us to do more and see what happens with our lives. So I think that God, or Paul in, in the Bible verse above, has given us a couple of hows, how to do a few things. He's given us um, a couple of ways in which we can go out and reach people in the world. But in order to understand our how, I believe we need to take a step back and understand our why, perhaps. The, uh, an author by the name of Simon Sinek, um, he's, he's spoken at the UN, he's spoken in the White House, world famous, and he's written a book called Start With Why. And in that book, he talks about the why being at the very center of it, followed by the how, but by the what. And he says in his book, businesses, individuals, and movements of all kinds should always start with why. Their reason for doing something, sorry, their reason for doing something. This why should be the basis for every decision its leaders and individuals make and every message they transmit. By doing so, they will attract loyal supporters and garner long-term success. He goes into organizations of all types and teaches people how to find their why. To give you an example, in 1971, there were two guys called Steve. This is actually true. Um, and they decided to, they became great friends, these two Steves. And um, 
they fooled around, they did a lot of pranks, four years. But 1975, these two Steves decided, you know what? We're going to break the status quo. We're going to do something different. And they decided that they were going to get a keyboard and stick it directly into a TV. And that was going to be Apple. And that is how Apple was born. These two guys said, we're going to change the status quo and not create our own monitors and all that they, those things that they used to have. Plug a keyboard directly into a TV, and this is how we're different. As a result, Apple's slogan became, think different. We all know Apple pretty much. If you don't, never mind. So Apple's slogan or Apple's why was challenge the status quo. Their how then became a user-friendly and visually appealing approach to design and interface. From that, you can then derive or deduce their what. Their what is very simply computers, smartphones, and MP3 players. And they're looking at cars as well, apparently. So you can see how a why, a how, and a what help to just settle some of the things. So I started thinking, let's have a look. This is just an experiment in some ways, but let's have a look. As Christians, do we have a why, a how, and a what? And obviously, God is massive, and there's so much, and this is so multifaceted, it's hard to put it into just a simple why, how, and what statement. But I started to look at it, and I thought, you know what? The why, the reason we do anything, it's got to be the good news. It's the good news of the gospel, doesn't it? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If I was to personalize that, for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. So perhaps, perhaps, and bear with me as I do this, perhaps our why, our reason for, for why do I exist? For God so loved you. Why did you get out of bed this morning? For God so loved you. Why should anyone out there care? For God so loved them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's this why. This is the why that should inspire us to take action. We can't stop there though, guys. We can't be a group of people who is ineffective. We can't just hear this why and say, oh, God loves me, great, and not do anything about it. I don't know if you've heard the statistic. Um, they say that if you take the five people that you spend the most amount of time with, you will generally be the average of those people. So even now, take stock. Think about the five people you hang out with most. You will probably be about the average of their height. You'll probably be about the average of their weight. And you'll probably be about the average of their income. It's quite interesting. And it's, it's, a, it's a sort of scientifically proven that people generally tend to be the average of the people or the five top people they hang out with. It's fascinating. The interesting thing is, how much are we hanging out with God? If we're hanging out with God, surely we should be a people who want to reach the world. Surely we should be a people who, who understand this, for God so loved the world. 
You see what I mean? It, it, it's, it's we naturally want to imitate those we hang around with and we act naturally change to a degree to become a bit more like them. It's just how we're made. And so as a people, if we're hanging out with God, I think we've got to be a people who love the world out there. And so us in this room, we're privileged. We know that God loves us. We know the why that God so loved me. I think there's a world out there who doesn't know that why. And I think there's a world out there who needs to know that why. So going back to Apple, how they phrase their call, their why, ours is simply the good news of the gospel. We've got to be a people who get out there. So now if we look at the next step, the how. How do we do that? It's got to be Matthew 22 in my mind. You're, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. So we've had our why, for God so loved us. The how is by loving him back. How do we do it? First of all, we love him back. And then the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. I believe the Bible is full of hows, to be honest. It's, 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 it's huge. This is one of them. But Paul, in his book, in his letter to the Colossians here, is giving us a little expansion on the how. Be wise in the way you act towards your outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, second, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And our what? Well, that's what God's called you to. You may feel God calling to you to start an orphanage. You may become so wealthy that you can let that through two things that um, we were talking about. You know, that if, if, you, if God can get the money through you, he'll get it to you. You may set up a business. You may be the best employee. You may plant a church. Those are your what's. So the, you, uh, can you see what I'm getting at here? You've got your why, your how, your what. I feel in that case, if we were to take that and summarize, our call is quite simply to share the love of God with people so that they witness his love and grow into a loving relationship with him through whatever vehicle God has made available to you. As I said before, you can change the world. I believe it. But guys, a call is powerless if you hide it. If you keep it hidden inside you, and if it never sees the light of day, it remains ineffective. If you communicate your call in a way that resonates with others, they'll be attracted to it. They will. They can't help but see passion. They can't help but see a reason, a why that flows out you and we will change the world. Calvin taught that all men and women have a calling in life and that it is their duty to investigate the gifts and circumstances of their lives to discover and exercise that calling to the glory of God. I believe we need to be a group of people who understand our call, who understand our why, our how, and our what, and that we do everything in our power to work towards it. So this section of Colossians was entitled, Further Instructions. You see here that Jesus should be the center of it all. Um, but you see again in verses 5 and 6, Paul starts to give us some thoughts on how to be effective. Again, let me read it. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pull that apart a little bit. Through our actions and our conversations, we should be sharing the love of God with people, as I said, so that they ultimately witness his love and go into a loving relationship with him. Paul says that in order to be effective in what we are called to, we are wise, we make the most of every opportunity, and our conversations are seasoned, and seasoned with salt and full of grace. Why? As Paul says, so that we can answer everybody. But then the bigger why? For God so loved the world that he gave his all only son. Is this making sense? These verses are really encouraging us to make the most every opportunity that we have. One of, one of the books that I enjoy in the, um, the business world is a book um, by a guy called Timothy Ferris. It's called The 4-Hour Workweek. And um, he encourages people to just work for four hours a week effectively and remain as effective, as profitable, as successful. He says in his book, pardon? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's effectiveness and efficiency, maybe not. <laughs> he says, being productive means doing as much as possible in as little time as possible and only tackling projects that are important. That is, projects that bring you closer to your why. After eliminating all time wasters, you should only be left with tasks that fulfill this criteria. I ask you guys tonight, are you being productive? I ask myself, am I making the most of every opportunity? If my why is for God so loved the world, am I really making every opportunity? Or do I need to eliminate a few time wasters? He is calling us to be efficient and effective. Paul is in, in, this, in this verse. Matt was telling me the other day that I always use the example of the rocks, putting in the rocks first. And I do that because it's important. You know, even just when you come to planning your time, I have three businesses, three kids, involved in eldership, there's a lot on. But I do believe that this, this whole rocks example can be summed up in just put the first things first. The things that are important, put them first. You know, I'll give you an example. If you're going to start a prayer meeting with your friends, great, it's a wonderful thing. Don't do it on a Friday night at 6 o'clock. Yeah? Put the first things first. Find out what is important and what isn't. And try and arrange your calendars like that. There's... Um, there's a principle called the Eisenhower matrix, or they call it the um, priority matrix as well. In fact, you can see it on the screen now. And it's simply put a line between urgent at the top down to not urgent, important across to not important. And guys, I can encourage you, do this. Actually do it with your lives. Do it with the tasks, your tasks for the day, your tasks for the week, whatever it might be. Sit down, take the time. You'll find this extremely helpful. And what you'll see is in the top right-hand quadrant, things that are urgent, things that are very important, is worth doing them fast. Things that are uh, important but not urgent, think about it, plan it, 
make sure that you know your strategy. Make sure that you've written stuff down. They say that if you write stuff down, you're something like 93% more likely to achieve your, your goal. Then on the other side, you've got urgent and not important. To those, you know, do it quickly, but minimum effort. And then in the last quadrant, you have not important and not urgent. Get someone else to do that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's my advice. Okay, so you've got your four quadrants over there. And guys, seriously, this is so helpful. I've done it with my own life. And it, it, you find it'll just increase the amount of time you have. The big thing, though, and the thing I've seen with my team and the staff who work for me is that people operate in urgent. They love urgent. Urgent's good, you know, because it's urgent. I have to do it now. Ah, didn't work. It's urgent. Come on, switch it on. That should have been an urgent sign. People want to be urgent. The thing is, your staff member or your colleague at work isn't going to come running into your office one day and say, help me, help me, John, 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 urgent. Tell me I'm, tell me I'm good at my job. They're not. By the stage, they're asking you to tell them, it, or they wouldn't do that. They'll just leave. Your wife isn't going to come in running into your office one day, running in, when you walk into the house, run up to you and say, ah, Wayne, Wayne, quick, tell me, tell me how you love me. Tell me. I know he does. But your wife's not going to do that, is she? If it's got to that stage in your relationship, it's too late. You should have told her along the way how much you loved her and how much she meant to you. Because it's important, but not urgent. Guys, if I can encourage you, understand the difference between urgent and important. Important, you've got to do. The things that you've got to go throughout your life. Urgent are things that happen suddenly, and you've got to do them. They're firefighting. They're things that, you know, you've got to switch off the gas. I would recommend. But on that note, your friend, your neighbor, isn't going to come running up to you and say, Matt, Matt, tell me about Jesus. Tell me I'm going to be in a car crash at seven. Tell me now. He's not. It's important. You've got to find the time. This is serious, guys. Put the first things first. Get those things right so that we can be a people who are effective. Get the things right so that, as Paul says, we can make the most of every opportunity. So Paul lists out three ways of doing so. He's got wise behavior. He's got salty and graceful speech. And he's got what I like to call tailoring. And I'll explain that in a minute. So he says in verse 5, conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders. Wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when there is no rule book in front of you. It's knowing that, that in those situations you can be yourself and still show the love of God. It's knowing how to do those. There are a couple of ways in which we can become wiser. One is meditation on the scripture. Psalms 19 verse 7 says, The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Prayer. We spoke about this last week, and this is, again, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Pray about it. Sound counselors. There's always people around us who are wise. We can get counsel from them. But if not, there's the book of Proverbs, incredible counsel in there. And another one is practice. If we can be 
a group of people who actually practice, where we, where we practice these things in safe environments. Because, you know, you'll make mistakes. You'll always make mistakes. I've made hundreds of mistakes when talking to people, counseling people. But you know what? If we don't do it, you won't learn from them. We've got to step out. We've got to make the mistakes so that we can learn from them and become wiser. Salty and graceful speech. When food isn't salted, it's bland. You don't want to eat it. It's unappetizing. If I can say, guys, we've got the most interesting, the most lavish, the most extravagant, the most exciting, the most fun, the most ridiculously huge God on our side. How can we be a boring people when we talk about him? How can we preach at people and they, we get this God and we talk to people? It's, it's, it's got to be something that brings life. The other side of this is don't gossip, don't grumble. I'm going to fly through these. Don't quarrel. Don't be obscene. You know this thing, it's difficult to talk anymore. But this thing that we call the tongue, it is so important. Think back to Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. What happened? Light. Yeah, thanks, thanks. (laughs) God spoke and things happened. A couple of verses later, God gave Adam and us the authority over mankind, over the earth. This thing that we call our tongue has incredible power. And so often, we speak negatively of ourselves. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm tired again. Oh, I'm never going to get that check. Oh, I'm never going to get a pay rise. Guys, speak life. That check is in the post. That check is in my account today. <laughs> that pay rise, that promotion is coming. Like, guys, be careful with how we speak about anything because this thing is powerful. Speak life and God gave us authority. And the last thing is tailoring. We will often find ourselves in different situations as we speak to people, as we go out there and talk and share the word. One of the things we have to learn to be is a great listener. Because if we don't listen to what's happening around us, if we don't listen to the people that we're talking to and understand what it is that they are trying to go through or what they're trying to say to us, we'll just blanket bomb them with our own theories. We've got to be a people. And I've seen it time and time again, people talking to people about Jesus, whatever it is, well, not that often, but I've seen it. And people just override their question. And the poor guy's trying to say something and we're like, yeah, Jesus loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put your hand on the TV. You know the thing? I read a great book called uh, Culture Code by a guy called Daniel Doyle. And he says this, whether it's your family, your local soccer team, or workplace, chances are that you are part of at least one group. So how do you go about contributing to a success? Your individual performance is essential, of course, but you shouldn't forget about working to create a healthy group dynamic. Openness and attention to detail are key, which means not only listening to what other members have to say, but showing that you're listening. Isn't that interesting? And when it's your turn to speak your mind, make sure to invite others to participate and share their feedback as well. You see, guys, listening isn't only verbal. It's emotional. And often it's in our body language. You know, listening like this sends a message. Listening 
with your back turned to someone, sends a message that those are the obvious ones. But the way we listen, learn to read body language. I'm going to end with this. I've, um, we're talking about being effective. We're talking about being uh, efficient. And guys, I've, I have mentioned a lot of books. I'll, I'll tell, talk to you about, about that in the middle, in a little bit. But there's a book by a guy called Stephen R. Covey. Again, a lot of these are secular, but they're really helpful. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In it, he says, focus on the following habits. If you want to be effective, be proactive. Begin with an end in mind. Put the first things first. Think win-win. And seek first to understand, then to be understood. I'd kind of written the preach, and then I, I, I saw this as one, one of my highlights. I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? This is someone from the secular world saying seven habits of highly effective people. I left out the last two because there's just too many. <laughs> if you want to, you can go and get the book. But you'll see, throughout the preach this evening, I've referenced a few books. And they're good books. They are. You know, in fact, I'll put them up. There's Start With Why, Simon Sinek. There's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. Culture Code by Daniel Doyle. Um, the Four-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. These are great books. If you want to learn how to be more efficient, how to be more effective, how to understand people, these are good books. They're secular. They're business. They're based on human psychology. I like that, but they're interesting. And they help with some of these things. However, guys, can I say there is one book that teaches you about time efficiency. There's one book that teaches you about going. There's one book that teaches you how to be more effective that is much, much, much greater than these books. You got it. That book is the Bible. You might say to me, how can the Bible teach me about being efficient? Let me give you one example. There was the parable of the five, feeding the 5,000. The, 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 how many fish was it? Two fish and five loaves. So you'd think that setting in itself is pretty inefficient, right? You get up to the top of a mountain, you've got 5,000 people there, five loaves and two fish. I would say inefficient, um, not very effective, especially with the hunger thing. So the disciples figured this out and they, they went to Jesus and said, look, we've got 5,000 hungry people, we need to feed them. Uh, any, any ideas? And they say, we've got these five loaves and two fish. So Jesus says, okay. And he blessed it. He blesses the five loaves and the two fish. And then he says to his disciples, start distributing. And here is where I think we have some of the incredible efficiencies and effectiveness that we can see in the Bible. What do the disciples do? They started. They started distributing the fish and the bread. And that's where the miracle happened, right? It was when they started. They didn't, I don't think that the fish and the bread multiplied in the boxes. It was when they started distributing that they started to see the miracle happen. Guys, today, whatever your why is, whatever your how is, start. You've got to get out there. I said at the beginning, you can change your world. And I really believe you can. Through your God-given call, you can share the love of God with people so that they witness his love and grow into a loving relationship with him.